Good morning, campers. Today's activities include a little scavenger hunt that will treat people like objects. Isn't that delightful? Lunch today will be an extra spicy Bloody Mary served at 3 p.m. And to end the night, we will be transforming this dump into a different kind of dump. <laughs> so put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into my man Godfrey. Your man Godfrey? I thought it was my man Godfrey. No, my man Godfrey's on first. Oh, <laughs> Marishka Hargate, Sarah. Marishka Hargate, Sam. I am your camp counselor, Sam, pro bodybuilder in training and current drag queen. I am. Oh, shit. I'm opening the wrong tab. I'm oh, camp no. counselor, Sarah. I'm a real flighty dame, clearly. And we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. So, my man Godfrey, here we are, week two of our romance month. Ooh. <laughs> you say that so sensually. We don't really have like a straight up sexy movie that. Oh no 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 I no! Just we just an upcoming movie. <laughs> Never mind. And we just did the Witches of Eastwick, which was about four people fucking constantly so much that magic happens. Yeah, and this movie is about a girl so horny that she can't think straight. I was just like, it's. I don't know. You you deliver a certain like late night call me big guy. Oh yeah, no. This is not a this is not a sensual kind of sound. We haven't really done a sensual movie, right? No. We've done sexy and we've done various other kinds of love, but we've never really done like oh, sensual. How do you think people in the 80s were like, "Honey, it's been a long week." Uh, we maybe have some young kids named Sam and Sarah. Hmm. I'm going to watch this movie that we heard was real horny. I got it from the video store and there's definitely nothing that's going to kill the mood. It's called The Witches of Eastwick. Do well, you I'm have not... your cherries ready? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was ready to bone the second that moment movie was over. <laughs> but then again, I'm, just... I'm on an unusual cocktail of uh, supplements. Yeah, supplements. <laughs> I'm seeing here it's all Spanish fly. That's that's so weird. Spanish fly gets me gains. Yeah. So we watched another movie in the dang public domain. What? So you mean now Godfrey and Dracula can fight the way everyone always <laughs> intended? Now Godfrey and Steamboat Willie can fuck. <laughs> I mean, he's close enough to the water. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, we we never got to see the deleted scene where Steamboat Willie put into port, and then he put into port. Godfrey had his uh, hanky code going on in the back, and it's like, yeah, this is this is my black and white spotted handkerchief, which means <laughs> they're I'm down all black and white. <laughs> I'm down to fuck an animated rodent. <laughs> Oh, no. He's got the handkerchief that says he's into when you play his ribs like a xylophone. <laughs> oh, no, he's he's got the handkerchief that means he's into water sports, i.e. he loves a fast-moving boat and racing. What do you <laughs> mean got... it means something different? 
He's got the hanky that says he likes to insert an entire fish into his mouth and then pull out the complete skeleton. Oh. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Back on track to my man Godfrey. Sarah, why Your would man you... Godfrey. Oh, yes. Yes. It is my man. I'm the homosexual here. William Powell's hot in this movie. He is. What the fuck? I know, right? Here we are, week two of the, that guy's hot? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Next week, we were also going to do that guy's hot. Yep. 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 Weird. Uh, why Why my man Godfrey, Sarah? Um, I think I talked um, a little bit at the end of last episode about, I really view this in opposition to um, bringing up baby. Bring Up Baby stars Catherine Hepburn and your cousin and lust object, Cary Grant. And it is considered like the screwball comedy. It's got all of the trope codifiers about like the flighty woman and this sensible man trying to keep her down and things like that. And they're, they're sent on a quest. Um, I personally watched Bringing Up Baby and I went, this is very stressful. <laughs> It's an extremely fast-paced movie, even by uh, screwball comedy standards. Really? And I did not enjoy myself. Oh. You're saying a person with uh, a, a fair level of anxiety constantly happening inside their head would not enjoy a fast-moving talking, talking, talkums movie? Um, I don't think I've told this story on the podcast. Um, a couple years back, I went in to renew my prescription uh, for my depression meds and the, I got a different doctor and he's like I'd like you to fill out this form to test you for general anxiety disorder and I was like I don't need it I'm I'm just I've taken my depression meds for years I know what I need please just give me my depression meds and he's like I'd really feel better if you filled this out so I filled it out and I got like a 28 out of 30 or something like you that. passed Congratulations! I got a good score in anxiety. Something yeah, yeah. which is possible to achieve and healthy to want. And I'm sure um, your anxiety felt great about it, going, hell yeah, I passed. Exactly. And he's like, basically, he, he put his hand on my shoulder and looked me in the eye and said, you know it's not normal to live like this. You, it's... It's weird. He he did that you live like this, and he hadn't even seen how you live yet. Exactly. I mean, if he'd seen how I live, he wouldn't have needed to have me take the test. <laughs> but yeah, I do have a very high level of anxiety. Despite that, I do really love movies from the 30s um, and screwball comedies. We covered the Barbara Stanwyck movie last year for my birthday, which is basically just like same thing. A, a steadfast man and a flighty dame in the 30s. And what are you going to do with her? She's a modern lady. I love Ridiculous. that shit. Ridiculous, these modern ladies. So I eventually got around to watching my man Godfrey being like, hey, I'll give it a try. I'd never seen anything that Carol Lombard had been in. I'd never seen anything that William Powell had been in other than um, The Thin Man. And... I was fucking delighted. This is a whipped cream meringue of a movie. Hmm, yeah, yeah. I can this see was that. basically everything I was looking for in a 1930s screwball movie, and I didn't know it was just sitting there waiting for me. Yeah, the the stakes are nice and low in this. Like even yes, even, even the romance stakes are very low in this. 
It they don't really do movies anymore where it's like, so you're the boy and I'm the girl, so we're gonna get married at the end, right? Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I I feel the the shoehorning in of romance must happen in most films. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they they don't get married at the end, but you're sitting there going like, and then they fall in love. Uh huh. I get it. Yeah, because he's a man and she's a woman. Fine, absolutely. Like, do I do I really need to know that Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyme are going to fall in love? No, no. Mm, yes. Like, I I came here for a, a jokey jokums superhero, and you're you're trying to shoehorn it in a bad wig lady. I have not even seen one Quantum Maniac yet. Uh, I saw it in a theater that pissed me right the fuck off because mm-hmm. I went in and like I saw the commercials and went something's up with the screen I don't I can't quite tell what it is and then a Coca-Cola commercial came on and I'm like is Coke releasing like a new product because every once in a while they put out like here's a green bottle we put out and yeah. here's a, a blue one to indicate that it's Coke with orange rinds in it or something I, I don't fucking know and the whole thing was was orange and I was like okay all right, so it's got to be a brand new, and they got to the end of the commercial, and it was like, regular-ass Coke. It's like, why is it orange? Oh, one of the projectors isn't fucking working. So I marched out, told somebody. I'm like, hey, listen, the color's not right in there. And they're like, oh, we'll get around to fixing it. I sat through that whole fucking movie, not being able to see anything, because one oh, of the colors no. isn't working on the screen. And you you know how people are constantly saying, like, all these modern movies, they're difficult to tell what's going on. Uh, f- when you're missing a third <laughs> of the color, it's even worse. <laughs> but now I know what colorblind people feel like. And uh, I, I'm I'm real sorry if, for that, guys. <laughs> that was shitty. That was a terrible experience. <laughs> it's not even like it ruined a... a- well acclaimed movie for you i was just there to have a good afternoon and i got (laughs) a third of it (laughs) anyway neither here nor there i still haven't brought myself around to watching quantum media on disney plus because i'm like oh god but what if what if the theater was right and this movie just looks awful yeah there's been like four marvel movies in a row i'm like yeah i'll see it on disney plus the marvels was fun I genuinely enjoyed seeing that in, in theater. There's a musical. I'm part that. of the problem. I did not see it in theater. It's got I, women. I'm one it's of those anti-feminists. Women. Yeah, you are an anti-feminist. I'm calling mm-hmm. up uh, The Hague and... I don't know. Who's a good feminist? That I, um, uh, uh, Liz Lemon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grasped for any straw. There she was. Kind of racist, but I'll take it. Yeah, fine. We'll forgive her all those other problems. Anyway, back to my man Godfrey. Yes. Uh, so what did did you have any idea what this was as you headed it? No, beyond you previously telling me, I think that it's a man who becomes the butler to a rich family and he sort of fixes their problems and then somebody falls in love. Yes. And you know what? Um, that's actually that's that's the whole plot. Uh, so Sarah is my man, Godfrey Camp. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
One and done. We gotta we gotta open up our Patreon where we can be like, pay us per episode. They're gonna start getting real short all of a sudden. Everyone who said you should make shorter episodes is gonna get what you want. Yeah, we're doing an inverse Patreon. Pay us more for longer. Pay us less or no, pay us pay us more for shorter. Pay us less for longer. That's yeah. Yeah. Shut us up. Yeah, 50 bucks, and we'll do 15-minute episodes. Five <laughs> bucks, two hours. <laughs> so, today, in background, we are going to talk a little bit about one Miss Jane Alice Peters. Jane Alice Peters. Yes. Uh, hmm. uh, Jane Alice Peters was born in 1908 in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to two very rich parents. Uh, they then immediately split up and stayed separated for the rest of her life, although they never divorced. Okay. Uh, in October 1914, Jane's mother took the children and moved to Los Angeles, City of the Stars. She lived uh, on Venice Boulevard. So, like, I mean, obviously L.A. was smaller back then, but we're talking like she lived in L.A., L.A. Yeah, totally different L.A. than what we have nowadays. Literally, yeah. a very different L.A. Yeah. This was this was Hollywood land L.A. Uh, while she was in high school, she loved playing sports. She played tennis, volleyball, swimming, baseball. And at the age of 12, she caught the uh, attention of a film director who's like, hey, there's this really cute looking tomboy out there. I should see if she wants to be in movies. So... He contacts her and her mother, and the girl who would then become Carol Lombard started oh. her first movie at the age of 12 called A Perfect Crime, 1921. Did she commit the crime? No. This is one of those movies, as are many of her early movies, which might be lost and might not. Um, as with so many early and silent films, it's like... Fuck if we know. We can't find a copy of it. That doesn't mean nothing exists. Huh. Yeah. That's, it's a real shame that we keep coming up against this wall of like, this movie existed at one point. And we're like, okay, uh-huh, and? Oh, have you ever heard of Greed? No. I was just Greed trying to... Is, Greed is a silent movie that is 10 hours long, and we only what? get bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Yeah. Why? It's one of those like... Uh, if you could find this, it's like whenever they find new footage of Metropolis, but imagine we only had like 30% of Metropolis. Which is still three hours of Metropolis. Yes. So, uh, the actress who would later become Carol Lombard starts acting as a 12-year-old and a teen. She gets more and more gradual parts. The funny thing is, she was not really somebody who pursued acting. Okay. Uh, she was basically she got more and more visible through things like small roles. Uh, she was the queen of her high school's May Day Carnival, and she got scouted from that, and uh, did various test screenings. She did a test screening to be in Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush, and eventually they're like, "This this Jane Alice bullshit is not going to work out. You got to have a movie star name. Okay. Like Carol. All right. Okay. I thought she had already adopted the Carol moniker, but you, no, mm. you merely adopted the Carol. She was born in it. <laughs> yep. All right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. 
So uh, she finally signs a contract to be a, a studio player in 1924 with Fox, who was not really a like a, a highfalutin company at the time. Fox was uh, considered like RKO, one of those like, I guess if you have to work for them. Well, I mean, they're not much of a highfalutin company anymore either. Whoa! Ayo! Uh, Lombard's mother contacted Luella Parsons, who arranged a screen test for her. So it seems like her mom was kind of... they. She was never in a situation where she was, um, like, the working kid paying for her family because her mother always had money because her father was always sending it to her. Um, but clearly her mother was interested in getting... Carol Lombardi career. Uh, she began to get paid $75 a week and she quit school. Hey, back then that would be, I don't know how much money that would be, but I'm pretty sure it would be a tremendous amount. Uh, I actually have an inflation calculator open for a different reason later on. Let's let's say this was 1932. It's earlier than that, but let's say it's 1932. Yep. That is $1,600 uh, nowadays. That, that is as much as I make. Actually, that's more than what I make. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because it's American. Yes. Uh, so she basically does a bunch of bit roles. If you guys don't know about the studio system, you were hired on and then they would be like, ah, eh, we're going to put you here. We're going to put you here. We're going to put you here. Whatever's easiest. Uh, she said, quote, all I had to do was simper prettily at the hero and scream with terror when he battled with the villains. And she's 16 years old. She's working. She's making a shit ton of money. She's like a flapper. She likes going out and dancing. She likes doing costume fittings. She likes doing um, photo shoots, stuff with like that. I mean, she's living the high life as far as I can you know, tell. Exactly. She starts to break through about six years later when she becomes one of the Senate bathing beauties a connection to phantom of the opera oh Whoa. wait no it's a bad it's a bad connection it's like we're going through a tunnel connection <laughs> we you, sorry no i sarah pie <laughs> now uh, if you don't know from Love Never Dies, Bathing Beauty started as a, a series of comedy shorts that were like, what if we showed girls who won a beauty contest? What if we showed women uh, in went, pajamas? No, sorry, bathing suits. Yeah. They're like, oh, look at all these girls on the beach showing their knees. Disgusting. Ha -cha -cha. I mean, yes, disgusting. Blur. Yeah. So that's what she's doing. It's not anything that's like super interesting. And again, she did not get into this to become a thespian. You thought I was going to make a lesbian joke, weren't you? Well, I'm above I that. I <laughs> Actually, this is one of the few uh, 30s actresses who doesn't appear to have lesbian rumors about her. Wow. Let's fix that. <laughs> I mean, um... <laughs> <laughs> Let's slander Carol Lombard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, breaking news from Is It Camp. Carol Lam Lombard possibly seen with a woman? <laughs> More at 11. Now, this is crazy because she starts working in 1921 she when she's 12. She does not actually become a successful actress until the 1930s. Okay. All right. Fair. Sometimes, you know, it's like... Um... Pedro Pascal, he, he didn't become a huge star until much more recently, but he'd been, exactly. he'd been working for ages. He was in an episode of it's, Buffy. I, that's what I was thinking of. Uh, it's like, um, 
I think it's Bruce Springsteen who said he had to work 20 years to be an overnight success. So around the 1930s, uh, she uh, gets signed to Paramount. She starts making more money. And they start casting mm-hmm. her in comedies. And people are like, oh, Carol Lombard's actually really good at comedy. Maybe we should keep using her in this. She's not just a pretty face. In 1931, she is cast in two films, Man of the World and Ladies' Man, that co-star one Mr. William Powell. I've heard that name before. (laughs) Yeah. She's been a fan of him for a while. She is 22 at the time. He is 38. They get married shortly afterwards. Huh. Okay. All right. Yes. They seem like very different people, right? Yeah, but go on. Now, William Powell is much more famous than she is at this point. So it kind of boosts her career. Um, And they sort of leaned into the fact that they were two very different people. She is young and cute. Apparently she was famously (laughs) foul-mouthed. I heard that, yeah. (laughs) And William Powell is is very much like his star persona. Like, he's an intellectual. He's well-groomed. He's sophisticated. It's like if, I don't know... George Clooney married Megan Fox or Jennifer Lawrence or something like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're going. But if you know, Jennifer Lawrence is also a foul-mouthed woman. <laughs> yeah, and also had done, like, straight-to-video cheeseball uh, erotic romances. Yeah. Uh, in August like, I, 1933... I, I, I... Sorry, go ahead. Um. Oh, I was just going to say, I totally see it for William Powell. Like, he looks like erudite and and well-mannered and well-spoken, yada, 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 all that stuff. Uh, but the, the Carol Lombard being just this, like, ah, spitfire, motherfucker kind of girl. <laughs> I don't know if she said motherfucker, but sure. We can imagine. Uh, now, speaking to the media at the time of their marriage, she said that they were diametrically different and called it a perfect seesaw love. In 1933, seesaw. they divorced. They had been married for just over two years, and they remained friends for the rest of their lives. Well, that's good. I like those kind of stories. It's like, yeah, just not the right couple to be together, but we do enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing is, My Man Godfrey, which stars the two of them, was made three years after they divorced. Mm. So is this a a thing of like, one of them got cast and said, you know who would be fucking perfect for the the other role? My ex. That's exactly it. William Powell was cast as Godfrey and he was like, I know you guys are going to think this is weird, but my ex-wife would be perfect for this. They apparently got along with no problems. They loved working together. That's great. Uh, Now, she starts to really explode after the divorce. Uh, She makes a movie called 20th Century, which fucking sucks. Uh, Have you ever seen 20th Century? (laughs) No, but the fact that you are saying that really leads me to... (laughs) I, I will say you are generous. You 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 like to like things, right? You'll find I do. the the silver lining and all kinds of stuff. I mean, fuck, listen to any of the movies that we covered where we're just like, oh, we don't like this, but we're gonna find the good here. And the fact that you just came out the uh, came out swinging with this movie fucking sucks. 
Yeah. Um... Uh, 20th Century is a screwball romance that I had to watch in my um, Film 1000 course because we were doing um, genre. And so we did three different uh, eras of the romantic comedy. Carol Lombard is fine in it. However, the uh, staid, boring guy in it is played by John Barrymore. And he is such like a, a wet blanket throughout that I don't think that movie is fun at all. Oh. Well, that's unfortunate. However, it is like part of the canon. So I feel kind of compelled to uh, to say, hey, she was also in one of these canonical screwballs. Yeah, I know. Are you sure it's not a thing of like you you hated it at the time and you may have to revisit it? Or were you just like, oh, no, like around across the board after we watched this, everyone agreed this fucking sucks. No, I mean, people tend to see this as still a canonical film, but there is an experience of sitting watching a comedy that is not fun, that you are not allowed to leave because you are going to be quizzed on it, that I did not care for. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I'm just curious (laughs) if you you had revisited it at any point. No, no, I haven't. Okay. All right. I'm not going to ask you to. Don't I worry. feel like there's so many other movies from that era that I still haven't gotten the chance to see. Yeah. Check check out new ones before you go back and go like, oh, okay. Maybe I didn't give this a fair shake when I first saw it. Now, I will say uh, that this movie is directed by Howard Hawks, who weirdly enough was her second cousin and was like, have fun with it. Apparently she was much like a cooler. And I don't mean cool like Garbo. I mean like cool like cool girl. Uh. Uh, persona in her earlier films and Howard Hawks is like, you should be sillier with this. Uh, And so this is considered like a big change in her career where she really becomes the screwball girl persona that she's remembered for. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now she starts to slow down a little bit in the late 30s and she does what I would call sort of like the Meg Ryan move where she's like, I have been famous for being the absolute best at these romantic comedies. Now I'm going to show you that I can be a serious actress. Go as well as the Meg Ryan move into serious actress. I think so. But at the time, she actually had something much more exciting going on with her life. Um, Several years before she had made a movie with Clark Gable where they were like, oh, we're friends. That's about it. And then they kept meeting again, and they were like, hey, maybe there's something here. And her second marriage, she married Clark Gable in 1939. She literally made a point of saying in their first movie together before they were um, a couple, she's like, I I did love scenes with him, and he was completely professional. <laughs> Which seems like a oh. much bigger compliment in the 30s than it is now. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, also now we got those um, intimacy coordinators, which I am so thankful as a thing. Mm -hmm. was real weird when we had to bring one onto the set of Star Trek Discovery, because I was like, intimacy for for, Mm -hmm. for this. And turns out it was a whole Klingon sex scene. I was like, oh, okay. How are we making it? Like, how how much does this intimacy person understand about Klingon shit? (laughs) Because I'm like, if any sex scene needs an intimacy coordinator, it's a Klingon one. Kapla! They are mighty warriors. They will not fuck without honor. So, 
uh, at the time, Clark Gable was not single. He was separated from his wife and she would not give him a divorce. So he needed a lot of money. To get that money, he finally agreed to do a movie called Gone with the Wind. Little thing. May have heard of it. Little thing. Maybe. Uh, So they eventually get married in 1939, and they bought uh, a 20-acre ranch in Encino, which, again, at the time, was kind of out there. And they kept barnyard animals. They called each other Ma and Pa. Oh, my God. Like, they wanted to be an old married couple, despite only being in their 30s. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, They start uh, trying for kids. And... uh, Wait, 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 wait. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention. Oh, I yes. was going to say, they start trying for kids. They can't have a kid. But one day they find a crashed spaceship out in their field. And so <laughs> Ma and Pa, Cable, Kent, raise the uh, the little alien boy. And that's where Superman came from. I mean, that's very much, it seems like, the ideal of the life that they wanted to lead. Or at least the life that their PR was putting out that they wanted to leave. Um, I should point out that she was nominated for an Oscar once. It was in 1936. It was for My Man Godfrey. And uh, I'm going to read you a funny little story uh, about the Oscars here. In February 1940, Lombard was quoted as comforting Gable after his loss as Rhett Butler from Gone with the Wind with the comment, don't worry, Pappy, we'll bring one home next year. Gable replied that he felt this is I know that this had been his last chance, to which Lombard was said to have replied, Not you, you self-centered bastard. I meant me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. You've made me fall in love with this woman. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Not you, you self-centered bastard. Now... Uh, by the way, if you're wondering what she lost uh, her her only Oscar chance to, it was Louise Rayner, the first thespian to get two Oscars in back-to-back years. Uh, watch Be Kind Rewind's video on Louise Rayner for more detail. Uh, now, at this point, you might have guessed this was the 1940 Gone with the Wind ceremony, so something's right over the hill. Wait, let me guess. Vietnam. Yes, that is technically correct. <laughs> the most um, kind of correct. So with the start of the war, <laughs> with the start of the war, Clark Gable wants to join um, the armed forces, but he just played Red fucking Butler. They do not want to <laughs> get him out of his contract. <laughs> hey, it's the sexiest man alive before we had that category. And uh, he wants to go into a war? I don't fucking think so. Right? Uh, John Wayne never uh, served his nation. I just want to say that. I say (laughs) that really because I know it bothered John Wayne. (laughs) And I know it will continue to bother John Wayne that people point this out. I love that. I love uh, pointing out ridiculous things about (laughs) Marion. Yes. So uh, around this time, you start to get a lot of Hollywood actors and actresses who aren't serving or aren't able to serve directly in the armed forces, um, basically using clout 
to try to support the war effort. So Carol Lombard leans big into war bonds and she starts traveling around the U.S. to um, basically appear and be like, hey, if you come here and buy war bonds, you get to see famous star of the silver screen, Carol Lombard. Pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. So on January 16th, 1942, Carol Lombard and her mother board TWA Flight 3 from Indiana, flying to Burbank, California, via several stopovers, including Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, my God. I think I've heard of this. Yes. Oh, no. Uh, She had gone on a tour in the Midwest. I know. She had gone on a tour in the Midwest where she helped raise over $2 million in war bonds in November 2023, because that's the most recent numbers that the American government gives us. That is equivalent to just over $39 million. Uh, Now, this flight made a bunch of stops, including in Albuquerque, where Lombard and her mother were asked to get off so that Army Corps personnel flying to California could get on. And she said, actually, no, I'm flying to help raise money for the war. I am also um, uh, essential personnel, and you need to let me stay on this plane. They refueled in Las Vegas and took off uh, at night to Burbank. Fifteen minutes later, it crashed into a near vertical cliff on Potosi Mountain in the Spring Mountain Range at 7,770 feet elevation, about uh, 24 meters below the top of the cliff, and immediately killed all aboard. Uh, The flight plan was not properly filled out. And they were flying by compass heading rather than using radio navigation. At the same time, because of the war, a bunch of um, airway light beacons had been turned off. So it was kind of just like this brewing, all the, some of the worst Honestly, possible Honestly, if it things. hadn't happened to them, it would have happened to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also, they weren't using radio uh, navigation. They were just going by compass. Yeah. Uh, this did what is commonly known as broke Clark Gable. Uh, he was never the same people said, and, uh, he pretty much immediately joined, uh, the war effort. Carol Lombard was declared to be the first war related American female casualty of world war two. Oh man. Yeah. Um, Clark Gable had to work had to return to work a month later and he had Natural. lost 20 pounds in the meantime. Oh God. Yeah. 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 Uh, I want to give you a quote that Clark Gable said about Carol Lombard. You can treat, you can trust that little screwball with your life or your hopes or your weaknesses. And she wouldn't even know how to think about letting you down. Oh, um, whenever I think of Carol Lombard, this is, um, Obviously, you you knew that this had been a thing. Um, her her life and her work is always sort of colored to me by this untimely death and just how unfair it feels. Um, you know, she was in a loving relationship with somebody who absolutely adored her. Um, she was transitioning her career to something more serious while still making shit tons of money. She was a huge star. And she was doing charity work, and it all did a pilot error. Yeah. 
man. Yeah. If you like Carol Lombard in My Man Godfrey, I would strongly recommend that you see the movie To Be or Not To Be, which is her final role. It is an Ernst Lubitsch dark comedy about the Nazis taking over Poland. Um, Wasn't that remade by Mel Brooks? It was. It was. Um, Because Mel Brooks was like a movie about Nazis, (laughs) you say. Um, We have this tendency to sort of deify the dead, and especially... Uh, movie stars who never had the chance to get old or get fat or testify in front of Congress for HUAC or something like that. But whenever I think of Carol Lombard, I do think about just how sad it is that all of this was taken away from her. She was only 33 years old when she died. Man, 33. Yeah. Oof. So I, uh, I have involuntarily ended this on a real downer. Um, she is... Uh, interred in the Forest Lawn Glendale Cemetery. You can go see her there. Um, It's a place where a bunch of other Hollywood stars are. Um, I do think it's her early death is part of the reason why she isn't a bigger star that people think of now outside of things like, um, oh, she's the girl from My Man Godfrey. Yeah, it's not to say like, oh, oh yeah, you know, I've never heard of Carol Lombard before, but I don't hear her referenced quite as heartily as other actresses from the same era, right? Not, yeah, again, not to say anything negative, positive. Yeah, if she'd lived on to be, to have a career into the 70s, like Catherine Hepburn, or pivoted to TV, like uh, Barbara Stanwyck, or anyone like that, you know? It's just, it's sad to think about what we could have lost from her. And I am well, well aware that I am being totally worked over by the PR system of Hollywood. And I would like to keep thinking that she was a very nice person who had something very sad happen to her. Well, this is this is why, like, now as an adult, I'm very much my my brain after 36 years of many disappointments, I stopped really putting people on pedestals for the most part until like their story is done and they can shut the fuck up because they're dead. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So it's not like, Oh, surprise. You know, share, share has still has time to turn things around and become the worst person imaginable, but it's real hard to follow up on a lot of people who have done that. Um, I think in the case of Carol Lombard, this is this. She sounds like the kind of person that's like, you know what? I like her. It doesn't sound like she she had any large criticisms about her or or anything truly horrible. I mean, unless you're like my mom who finds you know swearing to be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so many swears, Samuel. Um, so yeah, in this case, I I. I think we can confidently say carol lombard pretty cool dame yeah uh remember likability is a prison uh but she's pretty damn likable and it's only increased by her performance in in my man godfrey and the fact that she is really like acting her ass off in this movie yeah yeah she's she's given it a lot of uh Lot, a lot. She's giving a lot, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this movie. Except for William Powell, uh, nobody is playing it small in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and even even William Powell does get those those moments to shine to really step out from behind the large shadow that a lot of other people are casting in this film. Mm-hmm. Right? He he very much is the focus of the film, uh, and but whereas everybody gets to really act, he acts. Uh, we'll, shall we get into it's it? It's crazy to me that oh, this is yeah. based on a novel and not a play, because it feels like a, a crazy, door-slamming stage play. This could easily become a play. So, uh, Has it been adapted? Who knows? I'm sure somebody does. It but, must be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a novel. I can't imagine this is a novel. Anyway, uh, let's get into the plot of it. So, the film starts with... A really fun t- title card sequence. And like we like to say on this show, they don't make them like this anymore. Because it is. They don't make them like this anymore. Yep. It's the waterfront of New York City. And as we're we're panning across this, this painting, it's not quite a map painting. It's just a painting. Uh, the various lights of the city light up. And, oh, they're spelling out names and and actors and who they're playing and who the producers are oh it's oh yeah this is this is cool so you know as the the camera pans across this waterfront it's like oh and look who's playing so and so why it's such and such it's like oh yeah cool it's glamour baby glamour and so as we pan across this painting we get a nice fade in to a scrapyard that's on the waterfront and there's some rundown shacks amidst it. We can see several men digging through the trash. And here he is, our hero, Godfrey, talking with another unhoused individual. Mm-hmm. And it's they they're talking, and I think this is this is such a brilliant way to really establish like sympathy. <laughs> And also, you know, mm-hmm. the the character as a whole, right off the bat, is that they are talking about, hey, did you manage to find any work today? No, I went out there and I trod the pavement and couldn't find anything. How about you? And uh, no, nah, you know, it's real hard out there. And it's like, yeah, first off, it's speaking to the truth of the time. We, You know, people are going through mm-hmm. a Great Depression. <laughs> and at the same time, it's really, the movie goes uh, pretty far to be able to say that these men want to work right these aren't these men want dignity and and have an inherent dignity that doesn't disappear just because they're homeless yes and i think that's that's beautiful i think that's that's so great because it's so easy to for media depictions of unhoused people to be things that are like uh, you know, they, they fell on hard times or there's drugs or there's any any number of things could be coming up and, and whatnot. But instead, we we start the conversation, we start the film off on this really strong note saying these men were just out all day looking for work because they want to work. Right? And I think that is inherently part of the human condition. We love we love to work. We do enjoy work and we find dignity and pride in it. Right. And this is why I. I fucking hate people who are always like well you know if we just gave universal basic income nobody would work it's like no no i i like doing stuff please (laughs) we're just weird little monkeys man weird Um, little monkeys i want to say this this opening scene does feel 
different when you learn more about Godfrey's character later in the movie. But that doesn't change the fact that all of the men around him in this Hooverville are always treated with dignity. Oh, yeah, that is the word I was looking for. Hooverville. Like, I kept on trying to... to, to explain uh, the, the term Hooverville, um, it's... Mm-hmm. Fuck. Watch uh, that one episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, the, the one... It's it, not very good, but it'll teach you what a Hooverville yeah, is. Yeah, it's got Andrew Garfield in it doing an American accent, which is far worse than his later <laughs> American accents. Yeah. God. But basically, it's what they called these uh, unhoused people encampments that were shacks made on the fly by people just working together Mm -hmm. so anyway point being these are unhoused men who are desperate for work and uh you know it's pretty rough out there and a beautiful car pulls up and some rich assholes fall out of it they immediately ready to ruin everybody's night (laughs) yep yep they immediately see godfrey and one woman comes over a woman will learn her name is cornelia and she goes How'd you like to make five dollars? And he's okay. Well, what is it that you need, right? Because again, he is as much as five dollars could change his life right then and there, as far as we understand it, and potentially the lives of the other men he's hanging out with. Uh, he's still got dignity, and turns out the thing <laughs> that she wants them to do is not dignified. She is currently in the middle of a scavenger hunt. And uh, one of the things on the list is find a forgotten man and, you know, bring him to this area to be like, here he is, a forgotten man. I win. And he's like, no, fuck you. Yeah, I will not be your show pony. Yeah. So she's here with her younger sister, Irene, and her kind of beau, who really doesn't even have lines in this movie, but he appears. (laughs) Yeah, I, I kept seeing him in, like, the sitting room and being like, now who's he again? Yeah, like, oh, he doesn't say shit, but she just moves him from room to room. Okay, all right, fine. Yeah. Cool. But, um, yeah, he turns the offer down, indignant at the request, and chases Cornelia and the man off for being so fucking brazen. Good for him. I want to say something real quick about the Forgotten Man, because this is something that I actually looked into. Um, And I was going to do background on it, but it's just, it's really super short. So the concept of the forgotten man as uh, a thing to find was very common at the time. There's actually a Cole Porter song that references it. Um, And the forgotten man started in the 1800s and it was thought, it was created at the time to be a man who the government forgot about because they only used him basically to take his money in taxes and then um, not uh, do anything for him. So it's a very conservative, small C conservative viewpoint where it's like, I work all day and the government takes all my money and they've forgotten about me, the hardworking middle class man. That was the meaning originally. Um, In the 30s, it changed to what we see in this film um where fdr kind of spun the phrase he said no the forgotten man is not somebody who like the government is taking their money and forgetting about them the government the forgotten man is somebody who the government has the opportunity to help and does not so you can see how that links into fdr's policies very cleanly 
Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, from context clues, I could easily go like, oh, I get it. Forgotten man. This is yeah, yeah. a person who has fallen off because the government forgot to help him. Yeah. I just found it interesting because of the way they use forgotten man in, yeah. in this movie and they never define it. I was like, I want to figure out exactly what they mean when they say this. Yeah. No, no. It's, it, it is interesting. I love a segue. Because they killed their own president. <laughs> you and I, one brain cell shared between us. Thank you. That's exactly what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he comes face to face with Carol Lombard, who plays the character Irene, uh, Cornelia's sister, younger sister. And uh, from what I gather from this film is that she is supposed to be very young. They, they never say her age. They never, oh yeah, she's in her mid-twenties. But my my feelings and how she acts and so on and so forth, it feels like she should be 19 at the youngest, maybe 22 at the oldest. Yes. But also, all of this family is fucking insane because oh, they're God. rich and they never have any problems in their life. Yeah, they, they just have to come up with their own problems. And we'll learn more about them. So... She has a short talk with Godfrey about how much she hates her sister, and they kind of warm to each other. So much so that Godfrey going like, you know what, I'm glad you took some time out to actually talk to me, to get to know me as a human being. Um, you're in this scavenger hunt too, right? I'll come with you. You you can win. She's like, oh, oh, that's yeah. that's great. I mean, I hate the idea that, you know, we have to use people as game accessories. And she, he's like, yeah, you should. That's <laughs> fucking awful. Yeah, because later on we see that other things that they need in the scavenger hunt are like a goldfish, a goat, a forgotten man. Yeah. And she actually asks him, well, why do you why do you live in this squalor when there's all these nice houses? And you're just like, oh, oh, sweetie pumpkin. <laughs> oh, honey. <laughs> you can't just ask people why they're poor. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, he gives a nice pithy retort because, of course, he's, he's Godfrey. Yeah, this is this is our fucking hero, and he's he's got a sharp wit. Yeah. So in a very beautiful but also incredibly busy hotel, people are milling about with all oh, kinds Jesus. of random shit, waiting to present it to be judged for this scavenger hunt. And I gotta say, who the fuck is running this? There, there's no. Like, <laughs> Like this, this sent my anxiety through the roof of just like, oh, you just come right? up to the front desk with your shit and then you scream at somebody until they notice you and they give you however many points. There's, this is bullshit. There has to be an easier way. Yeah, they, they're they basically all acting like they're on the stock floor, you know, they're, they're going yeah. like, you have to pay attention to me. I brought a goat. <laughs> Here's where we meet Mr. Bullock. A short and rotund man with a very distinct voice. And, uh... He's got a voice. I, I can't even pretend it. It's so... It's so low and gravelly. He sounds like, like a Muppet. Yeah, it's... Low and gravelly But it's not just me. low and gravelly. It's low and gravelly with a distinct accent on top of it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not even going to try it because I, I... I'll short circuit my throat or something. But uh, he points out his this wife. This actor is in one of my favorite... Uh, movies of all time uh the lady eve he plays henry fonda's father and he's also very funny in that in a similar role great 
I, I, I genuinely like him at this. Like he's, he's, <laughs> he's a little out of touch, but not so much as the rest of the people he's surrounded with. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he feels like the one sane rich person. Yes. So uh, he points out his wife, who is a shrill woman with a goat. She's very like, oh, oh, I had no idea you were here. I've got a million things to say. And, and you know, at some point somebody says, like an, another uh, unhoused gentleman says five bucks. And she's like, bucks, bucks, what are these bucks? I've never heard this word before. And you're just <laughs> like, oh, my God. Calm your tits, woman. He and- is not exaggerating. That is how she sounds in this <laughs> entire movie. Uh, I have written the note here. Uh, there is so much sound happening. I cannot understand anything being said in this scene. But yep. it makes li- it makes little uh, importance because, thankfully, the next scene gets quieter. <laughs> so in walks Irene with Godfrey. Mrs. Bullock her, is her mother, so her name is Irene Bullock. And Godfrey is none too impressed with the goings-on. Uh, He's brought forward to the podium to be questioned by the game's master and uh, wins Irene a bunch of points for the game. Hooray. Great. And uh, basically she wins the game as well. Like it's like, oh yeah, Mm. you, you, uh, you, you did it. You, you got enough points to fuck everyone else over because you got here first. And uh, unlike you who just lost the game. Oh, shut up. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just turned 22 all of a sudden and it had to come out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to 2004 chat. Here we are. (laughs) Your favorite (laughs) podcast detailing garbage from 2004. Wait till you hear this killer Chuck Norris joke I have. Oh my God. He's he's so fun. <laughs> we don't watch any of his stuff, but we sure do enjoy the fact no. that he existed, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So Godfrey stands up and gives a little speech saying he's happy to have helped Irene and he hates all of you. You're all terrible pieces of shit. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. I, I like you more and more, Godfrey. So he goes to leave and Irene feels terrible about what she put him through. So she asks... Hey, you want a job? You want to be our butler? And he goes, oh, yeah, fuck it. Sure. I, I want work, right? And mm-hmm. her mother comes over and protests immediately like, oh, what are you doing with him? Oh, he wants to be our butler. No. So, oh. <laughs> I'm going to keep pulling that out. I enjoyed doing that. <laughs> uh this really sad little scene happens right here as Irene tries to give him some cash for clothes by putting it in his pocket and it just falls right out and onto the floor because uh, his pockets are not good like mine. No, he literally, he literally like has the moth fly out of it. Yeah, it's just, it's like she's trying so hard to do something good here. And she's trying to be nice about it and subtle about yeah, it. Yeah, like she, she's like, he does deserve dignity at the moment. It's just not working. But she's also very clearly smitten with him. And uh, he's ready for the challenge. He's like, all right, let's do this shit. So the next day, Godfrey arrives in the kitchen in the morning, cleaned up, looking smart. And he meets the maid, Molly, who's absolutely certain. It's a crime that he's shaven for the rest of the movie because he looks 
so hot in that first Yo, scene with, oh, the, yeah. with the five o'clock oh, shadow. Oh, yeah, the five o'clock shadow. That, it works for him. Mm-hmm. All right, and not in like a, a, a Humphrey Bogart kind of way. It's, it's, I don't know. There's something a little more dignified and a little bit cleaned up about his five, five o'clock shadow, whereas Humphrey Bogart, you're just like, dude, don't you have to work today? Yeah, there's something about like five o'clock shadow in old movies that is always like signifies dinginess and like a five day bender and stuff like that. Uh, that does not happen with William Powell. He just looks like a man with stubble nowadays. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, the the maid Molly is absolutely con- uh, convinced that he's going to be gone within like fifteen minutes. He's going to see what he has to deal with here and he's going to fuck right off. So she keeps on being like, so I'll just leave your bag and your hat by the door, okay? You can just take it on the way out. Well, she's also whip smart. I love Molly. She's great. And Yeah, kind of wish Molly had more to do in this I movie. would love more Molly because she also just gives no shits. She's like, yeah, this is the job. <laughs> and you're either on board with how ridiculous this family is or you're not. <laughs> also it's that thing of like you're entering a retail job and uh and the person training you is like long drag on the cigarette <laughs> first day oh kid <laughs> are we allowed to smoke inside no <laughs> this tim hortons looks like one from the outside but on the inside it's hell <laughs> nobody uses the men's washroom I've never even seen the inside of the men's washroom. (laughs) Anyway, Mrs. Bullock rings down to the kitchen for her morning tomato juice as she has a hangover. And this is where he comes in and is just like, you know what? We'll really put some kick in her. Some of this here. It's so sad how people did not have season. White people did not eat seasoned food. (laughs) A little Tabasco in her Bloody Mary. They're like, it'll kill her. Yeah. She's like, what do you want to do? Murder her? And he's like, no, this is, it's fine. Trust, trust me. She doesn't have the tolerance. (laughs) She'll explode. (laughs) This family gets as spicy as onion. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, he makes his way with the drink into Mr. Bull- Mrs. Bullock's room. It's dark, and she is massively hungover, as well as slightly delusional as she keeps on talking about the Pixies. Not the band. Just like... <laughs> she's she's big into late 80s, early 90s, late 80s, 90s, and 2000s alternative rock. Uh, but yeah... Uh... This is your first indication that this family is uh, literally not right in the head. Mm-hmm. But Godfrey is down to play. He humors her about the <laughs> pixies. He's like, no, don't worry. I won't step on them. And um, this drink will drive the pixies away. Yeah. Yeah. Just just drink it right up and you know, calm down. And she's going on about oh, that dreadful music. And so, you know, he helps to shut the blinds and stops the chandelier from moving about. Which creates the sound. And, uh... Literally, this family is like, this man discovered common sense. He's a genius. (laughs) Too rich to function. (laughs) Quite literally. And, uh, he leaves the room, leaving her actually giggling in the dark with her juice. So, 
Molly again appears and she's just like, Hey, here's your hat and, and briefcase. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. She's like, Whoa, you made it through one. Okay. Let's see how you deal with two. And uh, he just gets right to the next task where he takes Irene, her breakfast in bed. And she is shocked by his appearance. Your beard's gone. She was mourning it just like we were. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I also just love the outfit that she's apparently slept in, which is uh, 27 pounds of ostrich feather. <laughs> and then her, yes. and then her head sticking I, out. <laughs> I always look at the... I look at these like massive satin bed sheets and I'm like, that probably would be very uncomfortable to sleep in, but it always looks so glamorous in black and white. Yeah. There's something about this kind of sleeping outfit and this kind of bedspread would only be comfortable right here. There is no yeah. other point in time where you could wear this and wake up feeling fine, but there was magic in the thirties that allowed that to happen. Yeah, nobody in the in these movies ever wakes up with like spit on their cheek. No. Be like, what happened? Her face is perfect, her hair is perfect, she's perfect. Well, <laughs> she decides uh to call him her protege. A thing that she'll keep on calling him, and it's one of those you keep using that word, honey. I don't think it uh I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Yeah, so her mother has a protege. He's some sort of musician who's just like this mopey guy who hangs around the house and eats all their food. Yeah. So she's like, well, if mom can have a protege, then I can have a protege. But she doesn't seem to understand that having a protege means anything other than like giving somebody a job. Also, um, I got, I got, I got the vibe that uh, her mom's protege isn't a protege per se. Oh yeah, yeah. The the father does not care for this young man. Yeah, he's he's closer to uh, what in modern times might be known as a pool boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you never see him in like a little speedo at any point, but uh, the implications there. So she's all like, "Oh yeah, you know, you're gonna be my protege. I'm gonna help you adjust to the life of the wealthy." And, uh, you, you know, that way you'll learn the ropes and won't be so at a loss. And boy, howdy, will we find out later how little that actually matters. Yes. A, a, a twist in this film, again, that I legitimately did not see coming. He runs into Mr. Bullock at the bottom of the stairs, who thinks he's just spent the night with his daughter and was about to fight him because he says, I'll tell you something. Oh, God, that was awful. <laughs> I gotta... That that is actually the closest approximation yeah. any of us have gotten to his yeah. voice. Uh, I was I was a middleweight champion in in college, and you're like, oh god, well now you're a super heavyweight not champion. But he's clearly talking about boxing because he takes his jacket off, and you're like, oh, he's gonna punch this dude. And Godfrey has to go. Oh, I'm the butler. I buttle, and. Uh... <laughs> Then as Mr. Bullock calms down, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He served with a ticket for Cornelia smashing out a bunch of windows on Fifth Avenue that the last night, as well as a cop coming around to retrieve a horse that Cornelia stole and left in the library. <laughs> it, Which is absolutely buck wild to me because... We see Cornelia throughout the film. We, we we hear her speak and we see her doing things. 
But at no point is there any indication that she is the kind of girl that gets so drunk she steals a horse and smashes a bunch of windows. She's always just bitch in her scenes. So basically, turns out this whole fucking family is a handful. Godfrey runs into Cornelia later on that morning, who's trying to remember who he is. And as he explains how they met, she goes, oh, yeah, that's right. Now I'm going to be a bitch to you because you embarrassed me. My shoe's a little dirty. Can you uh, do something about that? And it's like, he's like, all right, well, this is my job now. And as she plans on making his life a living hell... Irene shows up, thankfully, and goes, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Uh, you can't just be a bitch to him. Uh, stop. Rude. He's under my protection in some sort of medieval fiefdom. Yeah, but Cornelia can read between the lines and she's like, oh, he's under your protection, eh? Hmm. So the family assembles in the living room before they can go any further. And, uh, this is where Carlo shows up. Carlo the pool boy. Carlo the pool boy. That yeah, that is that, that is his thing, right? He's he's the musical pool boy. And yeah. Mr. Bullock goes on uh, to the family about how much they spend and how wild they are and Carlo stands up and he goes to the window, looks out of it and just goes, "Oh." <laughs> Carlo looks like like Somebody did a caricature of Adrian Brody. <laughs> Carlo looks like, um, fuck, what's the lead character's name from the cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Not Dr. Caligari, obviously. Oh, uh, no, uh, I was going to say Rotwang, but that's from Metropolis, and I only remember because his name is Rotwang. Rotwang, um, fuck. But he looks- But yeah, but, the, uh, the sickly German expressionist fellow. Yeah, he looks like a sickly German He looks like a Tim Burton character. Yeah, he is absolutely like- Tim Burton sat up it during this movie and went, finally, something I understand. <laughs> Representation matters. <laughs> Representation matters. And yeah, and Mrs. Bullock is like, stop talking about money. It upsets Carlo. <laughs> God, Carlo. So Godfrey shows up with some canapes as Cornelia threatens that Godfrey may not be as up and up as he seems. I mean... What if he just slit all our throats in the night? <laughs> like, whoa, movie. Pump the brakes for a second. Hold up. I came for a good time, not a great but time. But also she says it. <laughs> she says it in like the evil queen Disney way where she's like, everything is slightly a little horny too. <laughs> like, and, and what if? And what if he held the knife to my throat and it was cold? Ooh. And behind him I could feel his strong muscles. <sighs> Anyway, anyway, uh, Irene, hearing this, immediately has a breakdown, crying on the couch, and her mother tries to comfort her. Everyone in this fucking house operates at 11 constantly. <laughs> yes. So, in order to cheer Irene up, oh, this is such a fucking weird scene. Carlo shoves a pickle in his mouth <laughs> and pretends to be a gorilla. It is a pretty good gorilla impression. <laughs> yes, yeah. But it's real fucking weird. Like, yes. like it's just... It's one of those cases where... It's just like Nick Frost doing his gorilla bit, where it's like, Edgar Wright thought it was funny, so he put it on film. But, oh, okay, so you you know up until very recently, like, in, in terms of there recently, gorillas were a cryptid. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. 
Uh, much like pandas, actually. Yeah, yeah. So it feels like, because there's this whole thing for decades in in comics and pulp stories about just shoving a gorilla into something because gorilla sold stuff. Like, if you put a gorilla on the cover of a Superman comic, it will sell more. That's that's such a weird thing to think about. It's why, no joke, it's why in, in Marvel and DC there are so many gorilla-themed supervillains. Huh. My, my... I guess we... we... <laughs> We sort of see them in like this um, Diane Fossey Gorillas of the Mist sort of way, which I guess was I didn't I never realized was a recontextualization. She she taught them all how to do the Fossey neck. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Diane Fossey taught the gorillas how to do jazz hands. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, no, and it, it and this is where one of my personal favorite. Uh, comic book couples comes from. You're gonna love this, uh, Sam. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't like where this is going. Oh, oh this is fucking great. Uh, the couple is uh, one Monsieur Mala and the Brain, and the Brain is an evil brain in like a little Dalek body, but it's got no lasers and stuff. He's just uh-huh. super intelligent and evil, and it's his gorilla boyfriend. Who is not a person who's been turned into a gorilla. No, he's just a hyper-intelligent gorilla who loves evil and his brain boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're right. I do like this. Yeah, yeah. Brain and Mustyamala. Give me a five-issue miniseries where it's just them having domestic things happening. Where it's like... Oh no, the couple next door wishes to come over. And Mr. Mala's like, oh, uh, fine, I should prepare the. Because he's French, obviously. He's, I think he's like from French Congo, naturally. <laughs> he wears a little beret. Naturally. <laughs> like he, wear, he wears a little beret. He wears a beret. <laughs> His brain boyfriend. Anyway, anyway, so somebody out there, please, dear God, I'm asking for a romance comic about these this gay gorilla and his gay brain boyfriend who are evil. Anyway, Irene really hates this gorilla thing. So Mr. Bullock retires to his room with a tray of martinis because I would too. And Irene in her fits calls for Godfrey and her mother leaves them. And just as she goes, Irene pulls Godfrey in and then she's, Hey, Godfrey, Godfrey. I was fucking faking the whole time. It's like, yeah. Okay. All right. Good for you, honey. <laughs> I never saw through it. You're a genius. <laughs> you're, you're, you're truly a great actress. I mean, outside of the scene, he'd also be saying, you're truly a great actress. Godfrey excuses himself. Cause like he's, he's super not into this, this, this whole relationship that's going on here. <laughs> And ask Molly if it's always like this, to which she replies that today is a quiet day. Irene follows him into his room and tells him that he can't kick her out after he kissed her. That would be rude. And he tries to explain to her, (laughs) hey, so this relationship's got to stay professional. And you got to find people of your own social cast um, because this is a grossly inappropriate relationship that's starting to form here. I'm trying to have a job because I need to live. And uh, I just can't be your fuck puppet. Okay, bye. And he kicks her out of his room. 
Uh, she thinks she retains none of this. No, absolutely none. Her her brain is the opposite of a sponge, but has the IQ of a sponge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's what's the opposite of a sponge? She's just a, like a sweet marshmallow brain girl. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Marshmallow is a good kind of thing. Later in the lounge, Carlo is playing a roast tune on the piano as Mrs. Bullock knits and prattles on about stuff. Godfrey shows up with a delivery of flowers and in come, uh, in comes Irene in her goth phase as her heart is breaking <laughs> and life just isn't worth living anymore. Oh, God. Nobody's buying this. Like, absolutely. I'm not talking about the audience. I'm talking about everybody. It's not even house. that they're not buying it. It's that they aren't giving her any attention yeah. and it's driving her crazy. <laughs> so she, she even says, some people will be sorry someday. And it's the most teenage edgelord shit I have ever heard <laughs> from this time period. Because everybody's like, uh-huh, yeah, we all die, honey. We get it. No joke. They say it to her in the film. Like, yes, honey, we'll all be sorry someday. <laughs> I, I, I really love this family. Like, as much as I go on about how fucking annoying everybody is, I love this whole dynamic of... Everybody wants to be the drama queen, but because they're all drama queens. Yes, that's exactly Because it. they're all drama queens, they can just point at each other and go, stop being a fucking drama queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at a party later, uh, unfortunately, like I got to write later a lot because there's time jumps that happen that uh, we don't know if it's the next day. Uh, the next week, the next month. And in some cases, it literally is the next year. Yeah. Godfrey serves little sandwiches as everybody goes about their hedonistic lifestyle. And Irene continues to goth about, like desperately gothing about. Uh, a friend of the family, Tommy Gray, comes in and immediately recognizes Godfrey to everyone's surprise. He says, oh yeah, Godfrey went to Harvard with me. And Godfrey is quick to step in and go, oh, as your valet, remember? I was definitely employed by you while you went to Harvard. And he said, oh, yeah. Yeah, Tommy is full on yes anding this, but in a slow way. But thankfully, because mm -hmm. everyone here is dumb as bricks, they all go, oh, it took a long time for him to answer that. Okay. Except for Cornelia. Cornelia is the only one who can pay attention to anything that's going on because she is, in fact, a snake in human form. Yeah, she is uh, always in uh, information gathering mode of how can this get me ahead somehow? Always watching you, Wazowski. <laughs> We're full of good impressions today. Yeah, yeah, good for us. I did have an edible before we started this. Don't tell the audience. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> Uh, so Tommy asks him on the slide, like, hey, what are you doing? And Godfrey tells him, I'll tell you later. Shut up. So Tommy makes up this whole backstory about how he left, how Godfrey left his employee to take care of his, uh, his wife and their five children, which shocks everyone, <laughs> including Godfrey. And this, of course, does not help the gothing around. No, because immediately after hearing this, and because uh, 
again, everyone in this family has to be the drama queen. Irene stands up and goes, everyone needs to fucking congratulate me. This gross dude over there proposed to me. And the guy goes, what? I did? Oh, I, I guess I did. Seems like the sort of thing I would do. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. So on the sly, Tommy and Godfrey set up a time to meet and talk the next day because now everybody's attention is back on Irene as she needs it to be. So later on, Godfrey serves Mr. Bullock a meal and Bullock asks him how he finds the family. He's confused as to why Godfrey even stays here because his family is so fucking much. And, yeah. and Godfrey explains to him, it's you, you gave me a room and board much more comfortable than living in the dump. Some of us need a job. And also that he does take great pride in his work. At which point I'm also like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when I'm getting paid poorly, I put effort in. So Godfrey meets with Tommy for lunch. And it turns out Godfrey's from a wealthy fucking family in Boston. I have issues with this plot. Really? Really? You you have issues with this? Because I I just went about my day being like, huh, there's nothing wrong with this whatsoever, Samuel. Uh, So, you know, Esmeralda from uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame and how she is uh, one of the travelers. Um, So a shit ton of adaptations of Hunchback of Notre Dame uh, say, uh, no, actually, we call backsies on this. We would like Esmeralda to be in a relationship with one of the white characters, and therefore she never was a traveler. Uh, she was, you know, a white kid adopted by a traveler family. That sort of thing. And that's immediately what came to mind. Yes. Uh, that's immediately what came to mind. Uh, when this revelation happens in the movie, I'm like, oh, he does have to get together with Carol Lombard. So he does technically have to be of her cast. I don't love that. <sighs> hi. Hi. It's 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 me. Hold on. I need a voice for this. <laughs> it's me, your old friend, the Hayes Code. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I'm sorry to have uh, to have Debbie Downs this. No, no. Uh, it's absolutely delight. Not. It's absolutely not. Like I like the second I saw this, I was like, "Oh man, all this goodwill you piled up for me at the beginning of this movie." <sighs> Fuck that. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, he's he's just slumming it. It's <laughs> like he's he's Yeah, to be fair, like they do treat all of the other men with him uh with that same dignity that they give Godfrey when you don't know that he's a Boston Brahmin, but it's like, no, you don't understand. He He's one of the right people. Yeah, yeah. And that makes him falling in love with her okay. You're just like, oh, fuck, mm-hmm. fuck this, fuck this. Because, um, yeah, I don't like, I, I really fucking hate this like, oh, oh, uh, yeah. The, now because he's appropriate. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. Why, like appropriate through what means this bullshit heteronormative yeah. cis white money but you see he used to be rich but he eat pray loved himself into uh being a better man oh i thought you were gonna say poverty which is also a thing that you can do <laughs> but no yeah but that's how he lost his money yeah after yeah. he lost his money he went on an eat pray love campaign so uh 
Yeah, Tommy's like, well, your whole family is telling everyone that you're in South America doing, I don't know, missionary crap. Uh, The days before the internet when you couldn't just look this stuff up. Yeah, apparently, so there was this whole incident in Boston and he just up and left all his money to a woman and just turned his back on everything. Right. That's that's the long and short of it. We we learn next to nothing about anything that happened beyond like I fell in love with a woman stuff didn't work out. I gave away all my money chose to be chose to slum it. And what he says is I came down to the river just to walk into it and die. But then I met these nice unhoused men who showed me that despite how living in squalor they are. They had pride and dignity. And so I went, you know what? I'll be pride and dignity and squalor too. And that's why, despite knowing I could go back to my family at any time, yeah. I took a job that any one of them would appreciate a great deal more. Yep. Yeah. And uh, uh, not just a job that they would appreciate more, but a job that is basically living in my old life again, except I have to do a little more work. Meanwhile, at the bar in this restaurant, Cornelia is there with her beau. And spots Tommy and Godfrey, and she she asks him, go into the other room and make a call to the restaurant to ask for Tommy to come, and then I'll do some malicious shit while you're gone. So he does. And she tents her fingers together and goes, <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so it, it, it works. You know, Tommy's called away. She sits down, and she tries to talk her way into finding things out about Godfrey. But because he's fucking Godfrey, he's like, I know exactly what you're doing. Like, Really? Sit down. Go away. Yeah, this isn't going to work. Yeah, go away. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the house. Yeah, I was having a drink with somebody. You're right. This was a crime. Uh, Oh, no. Why are you two here? Um, Alcohol? I don't... What? Anyway, back back at the house, Irene has a chat with Molly, worried that Godfrey is out there cavorting with some woman. When Godfrey comes back in, a little tipsy... You'll find out later it's a lot more than a little. And they scurry away. He -hmm. goes about his work, quite drunk, which gives Cornelia the opportunity to get up to something in his bedroom. She, uh, She secrets something, something that we don't quite see, underneath his mattress. And you go, what's that? Ooh, mysterious. So later on at dinner, Cornelia comes downstairs to announce that her pearl necklace is missing. And that she's called the cops immediately because I can't be bothered to find it. That's what cops are for. Finding things, helping rich people with, oh, wait, I got to the truth again. That's not a joke. (laughs) So the cops do show up and they believe that somebody in the house has probably stolen the necklace because, you know, rational idea. And it seems to be like the only thing really missing. So they tried to accuse Molly, but she's having none of it because she's a goddamn queen. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah Cornelia brings up that hmm, huh weird uh there's this new guy working here and I don't quite trust him and so naturally the cops go all right we'll check his room and they find Godfrey passed out on his bed because he's real drunk and they wake him up by announcing hey we're gonna search your room for this necklace and Cornelia standing there goes oh what if he hid it under the mattress hmm And to everyone's surprise, the necklace isn't underneath the mattress either. 
Now suspicion falls on Cornelia and everyone apologizes to Godfrey. Like everybody just immediately goes, Cornelia, you dumb slut. We're like, come on. The fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's literally because she's like, it's like a point and click game with a giant hovering arrow pointing you towards the mattress. That's about how subtle she is yeah. <laughs> in telling the police to search there. So Mr. Bullock sends the cops away and also says, like, oh, I'll send you a check for all the work that you did. It's like, oh, thanks, Mr. Bullock. Bribery. And (laughs) confronts Cornelia about her behavior. We cut to Godfrey talking to Tommy by his home in the river. uh, Well, his old home by the river. He lives in a van down by the river. Yeah. He kind of shows him, you know, how the other half lives. It's like, hey. This is this is kind of what's going on in the world right now. And as he's talking, he reveals to Tommy, like, I'm I'm not just working for me. Like, I'm sending cash and supplies down here. I'm helping these guys out. At which point my heart again goes like, Oh man. Oh, he is a nice guy. He's not just yeah. he's not just doing this. He's ah, uh, I like you, Godfrey. Just like the entire family, you fall in love with Godfrey. Yeah. And as he's enlightening Tommy to these men and their situation and you know, the truth of the world, he's like, I also have this plan. Like, I have this big idea. And then, you know, we fade out because, of course, <laughs> what would be the point of the movie if we knew what the big idea was immediately? So an undetermined amount of time later, we see a co- gossip column talking about how Mrs. Bullock and her daughters have just come back from Europe after Irene broke off her engagement. Irene is still upset. Yeah, they sent her away to clear her head. And no, she's just as fucking miserable as ever. Irene is so upset that Godfrey <laughs> isn't falling head over heels She's for listening her. to Evanescence up in her room. She says it's not a face. She's, oh, bring me to life. Wake me up. Wake me up inside. And uh, so... Irene continues to try and flirt with him and swoon about, saying, everywhere everywhere I went in Europe, there you were. And he's like, no, I was, I was here the whole time. Oh, but I saw him in, like, the gondolier driver, and I saw you in, like, this other guy. And he's like, okay, there's something going on with you. It's weird. This is also a very cute scene because she's trying to help him while he's doing dishes. It's very domestic. Yeah, I, I like that she spends a ridiculous amount of time on one dish. Like, the whole scene yeah. is just one dish being... He's getting work done. She is just rubbing a dish. And the rubbing gets faster the more she talks <laughs> about him. So he explains to her that he is working on self-betterment. And that, as part of that, he won't be falling in love with her anytime soon. And uh, also, he's going to be quitting soon. He explains that his wife and five children do not exist. And she is, she goes from like, oh no, you're quitting to yippee, he's single. (laughs) So later Cornelia confronts him again about the pearl necklace. Turns out while the family was traveling, she met another family from Boston and learned about the Parks, the family that Godfrey belongs to. And she plans to meet with him to discuss what she knows. She's all like, "I, if you meet me, with me later, rather than talking about this now, I'm going to blackmail you or something. I don't know. Something horrible. Yeah. yeah. Irene doesn't want him to go with her because, A, she's worried that Cornelia's trying to steal him from her. 
and Cordelia's always just up to no good. So she faints in his arms. Great. Good distraction. Yeah. Yeah. So I I should say all of this, including what's about to come up. um, I can't emphasize enough how charming everybody in this movie is, because literally until you start going through the plot, I had not considered that most of this movie is Irene sexually harassing somebody who works for her. Yes. This movie's fucking charming is what I'm trying to say. It's real fucking charming. But the second you get yourself into the mode of she's 19, she's hired like a 38-year-old to be her family's butler, and she just spends the whole movie being, but what if you fucked me? Exactly. (laughs) But really, like, what if you fucked me? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cool. Yeah, but like, imagine. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, he, he throws her over his shoulder, literally, he literally throws her over his shoulder, walks her all the way up to her room. And, uh, he's kind of like, okay, she does this a lot, this drama shit. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm just going to call her bluff after he sees her sit up wide awake in the reflection of the mirror and immediately go back (laughs) down. He's like, Okay. All right. Oh no. Oh gosh. She's, she's so fainted. I, I better just place her nicely inside this shower and turn it on. And immediately she wakes up and it's all, Oh no. But by turning it on, uh, this is, he, yes. he has inadvertently turned her on because now she believes that he loves her and he quits on the spot. One of the, again, one of the quotes from this movie that I had not seen in stark black and white sans context, she says, I know you love me, you do or you wouldn't have lost your temper. And I'm over here tugging at my collar. Uh, So Godfrey quits. However. However, it turns out that uh, she has to have a sit down discussion with her husband, who quickly takes the time to throw Carlo, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Jazzy Jeff, right out the door. Because he's done He's done <laughs> with uh, the pool boy. Pool boying his way around his wife. Because they are poor. They made, he made a bunch of bad stock decisions and also his family won't stop spending money constantly and they're going to be destitute soon. And this is when Godfrey walks back in and he says, don't worry about that. Turns out, you becoming destitute. Uh, I took the liberty of buying up all the stocks of your company. And oh, here you go. Here they all are back. I made a fuck ton of money. Uh, here's a bunch of money left over. You guys can have that too. So you're not destitute anymore. And uh, oh, also here's your pearl necklace back, honey. And he presents Cornelia, who is also there, with her her pearl necklace again. And he's like, yeah, I totally knew that you hid it underneath the mattress. So I pulled it out. Cause you're a dummy. Uh, I sold it. I used all that money to buy all these stocks. I shortchanged the stocks, manipulated the stock market, made a fuck ton of money. I'm quitting. Here's the necklace back. Cause I bought it back. Cause I'm a nice guy. You can have the company. Au revoir. Oh, and basically there's a big old Cordelia. You can eat shit kind of moment there yeah exactly yeah and cornelia in like the one sad part of the cornelia 
I I would cut this out personally. Cornelia is like, I'm a bad person. I'm like, no, the evil queen doesn't say she's a bad person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Molly does try to stop him on the way out because she's come to like him too. And Molly is a sensible human being. But he makes his way out the door. Mm -hmm. Irene walks in after the whole commotion. And she's confused why everyone is morose. Because they're not going to be poor. What? Well, we cut to this swanky new nightclub called The Dump. And Godfrey steps out of a car? What? But this looks like the area that... Maybe that... take a second second run at the name, boys. The the name what? Maybe maybe second draft of the name. Oh, maybe I thought you were telling me. Maybe don't nightclub. The Dump. <laughs> I, I was so worried oh, no. that I had mispronounced something. I'm like, Le Doomp? <laughs> <laughs> it's pronounced Godfrey. Godfrey. Um, no, I, I'm just thinking, like, if you are literally building it in Hooverville slums, uh, yeah. it's uh, maybe in poor taste to call your expensive restaurant The Dump. Yeah, not just in poor taste, but also, like, where are we going tonight, honey? Oh, you know, The Dump. <laughs> what? Huh? Yeah. I like I get I get that it's all right, all right we'll, we'll get to this explanation right now. So turns yeah. out part of the money that he set aside was to set up this nightclub and give all of the men who were in this Hooverville nice cushy jobs at the nightclub and he's building housing so that they can live and work and they're all getting taken care of. And you say, God damn it, Godfrey, this movie shouldn't be called My Man Godfrey. It should be called Our Man Godfrey because you are a man of the people. Uh, it, it's like the end of, um, or this line isn't even in the end of uh, It's a Wonderful Life, but the money's in your house, in your house. Yeah. And, and I just like well up every time. It's just like, damn it. Oh, oh yeah. The, and some of the bad will that you built up after you found out that Godfrey was actually just you know, slumming it, uh, it 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 evaporates mm -hmm. a little bit because you go like, oh no, he genuinely wants to change people's lives, and mm -hmm. he became president after this movie. And uh, there's no such thing <laughs> as uh, homelessness or you know people who are are no longer in want of jobs. America's a utopian paradise, thanks to. Yeah. Uh, President Godfrey. God Emperor of Dune, Godfrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> the the scrap heap must flow. <laughs> Turns out Tommy is his business partner as well. You know, this is how they, they managed to get like good names to be able to finance this stuff because banks are still shitty places. <laughs> And uh, at one point, Tommy is like, well, but what about the return of my dividends? And Godfrey just kind of looks him in, in the face and goes, you did a good thing. That's your dividend, motherfucker. And nobody ever took the lesson from Godfrey again. Yeah. Uh, Irene shows up, confused as to what happened to the dump and the men who lived here. And uh, she's brought several carpet bags. She sees herself into his apartment, which is part of the nightclub, because of course it is. And uh, he he keeps on being like, you got to go home. And she's like, nope, absolutely not. I love you. You love me. <laughs> and, uh, oh, what's this? A minister also shows up. Oh, Tommy just, you know, ordered one <laughs> yeah. over. He's going to get us married right now. Uh, the guy who's handling my luggage, he can, he can be our witness. And Godfrey just kind of stands up and he goes, 
All right, fine. The end! (laughs) (laughs) So, romance month might be a stretch, but (laughs) goddamn, I love this movie. It's a fun movie. It's a delight! I I think the thing with screwball comedies is yeah there there is that romance aspect but the romance is never like the focus right mm-hmm. like the romance happens we all expect it to happen but there's a legitimate plot actually happening at the same time so when we did like ball of fire it was this whole we got to get this encyclopedia done and also she's running from the mob and the cops what 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 and then they fall in love as well mm-hmm. like there's there's a story here that's happening, right? Whereas, like, if you look at many modern rom-coms or, you know, the great ones from, like, the 90s and stuff, like, if you took out the romance, yeah. the movie doesn't exist. Yeah, it's um, it's like stage magic. They're, they're getting your attention with the family dramatics over here and in the background, unseen, Godfrey is fixing everybody's problems. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked this. I enjoyed myself. I, I'm curious as to what the remake with um, Peter Niven's like. Yeah, I just like, I don't know. I've seen this and I have never felt any uh, curiosity about it just because I love this one so much. I think that Carol Lombard and uh, William Powell particularly are just so delightful. Oh, for sure. I I enjoy their their chemistry and you 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 explaining that they were married i'm like oh okay this makes more sense and then you said like oh then they divorced and this movie still happened later i'm like oh well then i can like either these are two incredible actors i'm sure they're great actors but or Mm -hmm. they genuinely do like each other and it it was nice to actually know that Mm -hmm. that they do and they did like each other that's lovely yeah so i would say this is a recommend for me Mm mm-hmm it's it's under 90 minutes long, and like I said, it's in the public domain. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Tubi. Um, don't watch the colorized version. I uh, did watch that was the done color. Decades after the fact. Yeah, I you did, did watch the color. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's not distracting. Um, I mean, unfortunately, hmm. every once in a while, whoever's doing the colorization, like all the faces are colorized the exact same. So no, there's no differentiating mm. in skin tone. And sometimes that skin tone is also the same tone as the walls of the room that they're in. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, oh, okay, all right, whatever. But I never found it distracting or uneven. It's more so just like, it's it's an interesting relic of something that we did. But yeah. So, Sam, big mm-hmm. question coming up. Is my man Godfrey Camp? I, I'll, I'll say yes. I say yes, it is Camp. But it's like Camp with a little C, right? It's not your... Mm, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, like how we say little C conservative. This is little C Camp. Because, you know, it's got ridiculous characters. It's got over-the-top things. But nothing is over-the-top, right? Like... It, Okay, I was going to say, like, at no point does somebody have to handle a monkey, but there are literally two monkey scenes in this fucking movie, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is a live monkey in the scavenger hunt scene. Because, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not slapping you about the face. It's, you know, it's, it's funny, it's cute, it's sweet, it's charming. It moves at a fucking clip. Because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure I've got like half an hour left. Oh, I have three minutes left of this movie. 
okay. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's delightful. You know, it's, it's little sea camp. You've got, you know, big acting moments and a lot of funny voices. But, uh, you know, it's nothing like taboo. There's no, you know, um, quote unquote, strange sexualities or anything beyond the pool boy Carlo. Yeah, so little, yeah. little secret. Uh, there is some racism about his non-existent wife, which yes. we skipped over. Yep. Um, but it's, for a movie from 1936, it's relatively minor. That's not excusing it. I'm, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying. Uh, be warned. It, it's not even a plot point. Like, people go like, oh my goodness, a, an exotic wife. And then that, that's kind of it. Yeah. So, not again, um, no excuse. I, I think I am... <laughs> I think I am going to say that my man Godfrey is not camp. And it's because I think that while there are very, very big emotions in this movie, I don't think the movie itself holds them seriously and i think that the movie has to say like this is life and death stuff this is big operatic i'm gonna kill myself stuff and irene certainly thinks that she is in that story (laughs) but that is not the genre that we are in Mm. Mm. interesting yeah Mm -hmm. i guess we'll agree to disagree then god fine I'm gonna hide some pearls under your bed. How about that? Whoa! How about I tell you some snarky things to your face, and you can't say anything back because I'm polite. Thank you for joining us today on our exploration of our man Godfrey. He's been uh, taken over by the state. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Yes, and next week we're heading into week three of our romance month and we're doing a little movie called secretary yeah this is the one that we were referring to earlier when i was like we're not doing any sexy movies this month oh wait yeah yeah um have you seen secretary i have seen secretary a long time ago it's it's a 2002 movie i probably saw it in like 2006 2007 yeah so university prime time to see this kind of thing yeah exactly yeah, yeah, I I have seen it once, and it's because it's uh it's one of my f- uh, friends' favorite movies. But I remember mm-hmm. seeing it and just being like, coming out the other end, going, "Holy shit, that was so much more than what people sold me on for this film." Mm-hmm. Okay, so just just as a heads up, it is a movie about a woman, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, who gets a job as a secretary for James Spader. And uh, over the course of her employment, uh, ends up in a BDSM relationship with him. A very dom-sub oriented one. And you hear that and you go like, oh, okay, so this is going to be like a real, like, if you'd never seen it before, you'd either go, this is going to be real kinky. It's going to be like, you know, just some almost crossing the line, hardcore erotica kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. what I can what I can definitely say is you get to the end of the movie and you go, this is really sweet. <laughs> like, yeah. like, talk about healthy adult relationships. But uh, I'm really interested yeah. to to come back to this movie uh, 
several years later as more of a fully formed adult and see what my opinion of this movie is because at yes. the time i was like yeah this is this is a pretty good movie but it didn't really hit me hard the way this people love this movie yeah the people who love this movie love this movie so it'll be interesting right definitely i know i've certainly grown and changed as a person and uh you know Maybe you have too. If you, our audience, our campers, look at that fucking segue. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> our audience, our campers have seen it before. You can continue the discussion on our Twitter, our Instagram, our Blue Sky, and I don't know, maybe there's other social medias. Yeah, write us a letter, it'll find its way to us somehow. I am at Reese Indigo, <laughs> all one word, R H Y S, spelled the Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Our episodes are edited by Warren Fry. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Okay, not too calm. No, not the way you do it.